Father, we, we praise you. We thank you for the great interest that you have taken in us. There was nothing good in us. Father, we, we have set our lives against you at one time. But you have been gracious to us. You look down upon us with love and with compassion. And you brought healing through the Lord Jesus Christ. You touched our hearts. You touched our soul, our spirit. And Father, you brought us back into union with you. We just thank you. We can't, we can't express enough. We can't fully express how much this matters to us. But you know our hearts and you read our hearts. And you know the desire of our hearts. And so, Father, we lift our lives to you. We thank you. We thank you for reaching out to us. We thank you for the mission which you have given us. We thank you for the people that you have surrounded us with. We thank you for the opportunities to share your love and your goodness. We thank you, Father, for all these things. We thank you that you look into our needs. Even before we share our needs, you already know them. But Lord, I know just like mom and dad who love to hear from their children, even if they know what they're going to ask for, they still want to hear their children. And so you hear us, and it's wonderful. We thank you for that. Thank you, Father for the opportunity to lift our prayers to you. And we look forward to the things that you will do because we have prayed, because we have brought it to your throne. Lord, as we share this morning, may you speak. And Father, may we listen. May you change us, Father, from the inside out. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for sharing your prayers this morning. Isn't it wonderful to pray together as a church? I think it's wonderful. This morning, I want to begin with a passage, and uh, that passage is in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. 1 John Chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. If you want to follow along in your Bible, 1 John chapter 3, verses 16, and I'm going to be reading to verse 19. This is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material 
possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Last week, I shared a little bit about how God has designed his church to be a vehicle, a vehicle that God is using for his purposes. How the church was designed to be a rescue vehicle. How the church was designed to be a training vehicle. And then we, we really focused on this whole area of how God has designed the church to be a connection vehicle. In other words, how we are to interact with one another. And it all comes down to this one word, which is called love. Love. You know, Jesus said, in the latter days, love will grow cold. The one thing that the church has and can always hang on to is love. And Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He says, love one another. Love one another. I looked it up in the Bible, and I think there's over 50 passages in the Bible, in the New Testament, that say one another. Do you believe that? Over 50 times, we get this whole idea that we do things with one another, for one another. Love is one of them. Wintley Phillips defines love as this. He says, love is when what you want is never important, but what the other person needs and wants is always paramount. I'm going to read it again because you might not have caught this. I, I think this is profound. Love is when what you want is never important. What you want is never important. But what the other person needs and wants is paramount. Wow, that, that is probably one of the best explanations of love that I've ever read. And to comprehend this, I believe, is spiritual growth. And faith is growing upwards. Faith is growing from ground level upwards. I'm going to ask us to do something. Yeah, you might not feel comfortable to do it, but uh, try it. A at least try it. I want to ask you all to close your eyes. And, and just keep them closed. I'm going to be talking for a little bit, but just... Keep your eyes closed. And I, and I want you to imagine. 
So just get yourself ready to start imagining something. I want you to imagine your most perfect day. Not the most perfect day that you have ever experienced. The day that you have never experienced. The most perfect day for you. Just put that into your mind. Take a few moments to, 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 to think about it. This is going to be your perfect day. The most perfect day that you could ever experience here on earth. All of us are going to have different pictures. The scene is going to be different probably for every one of us. But I want you to remember this is, this is your perfect day. So imagine it. No arguments. No stress. No pressure. Pressure. A perfect day. For some of us, it may be exciting, peaceful. Maybe a day of, of where you see this beautiful interaction taking place between all the people you know. Your perfect day might be the day that, that you've reached out to that person you've prayed out for for many, many years. Your perfect day may be just total openness and honesty, love, unity. Maybe a day that's life-changing. Maybe what you see is people who, who are valued, appreciated. This is your perfect day. I want you to open your eyes. How many of you saw your perfect day? Isn't that wonderful? What you imagined here this morning, can it happen to you? Can it happen to you? Can it be something that is actually real? You know what happens to most of us is, is, is that we, we have this imagination that goes to this place. And then you know what we do? We go, I got to get back to reality. This is just imagination. This isn't real. This is something that I've put into my mind and it will never happen to me. Why do we think this way? Why do we have in our mind's eye something so beautiful and so perfect and then think that it's not realistic and it won't happen? May I suggest that it's because we've experienced life. We've experienced disappointment. We've experienced pain. We've experienced frustration and hurt and failure. Those are all things that we experience and they're burned into our minds and we can't get past that. Because as soon as we do, we think somebody's going to mess up this perfect day of mine. But the perfect day doesn't start with other people. 
perfect day starts with us. And when it comes to overcoming things, you know what God's answer is to us? Amen. Amen. You know what that means, right? So be it. When the, we have this perfect day that we are asking for God, God doesn't say no. God says amen. He wants to give you this perfect day. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Amen, yes. Who can? If God has designed something for you, who can spoil it? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says this. Uh, it says that if God is for us, nobody can be against us. Nothing can be against us. I want to read the passage from Romans. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 32. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 32. And I like what uh, Paul writes here. He says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. God works for the good of those who love him. So anything that you have planned or imagined that is good, God works for you. For those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? God's working for the good. I, I believe God wants to see the perfect day in you, in me, in all of us. And I believe it's possible. And if something is stopping you from having that day, certainly it's not God. God is certainly not stopping you. He is for you. Who is against you? The workings of the evil one. The workings of the evil one is preventing us from having that perfect day. We have one who is for us, who stands for us, and that is Jesus. Jesus is our salvation. He's our intercessor. He's the one who is inside of us. He's the one that is working in us and through us. We have been joined to, with him. We are one with Jesus. If we are a Christian, if we are a believer, then we are one with Jesus. And he lives in us. John chapter 1 verse 1. Scripture says this. John writes this. He says, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. In other words, Jesus, who is God, became a human being. The, the word that is often used is incarnate. 
And the word incarnation comes from the Latin word incaro, which literally means with skin on. With skin on. The word came with skin on. The word is, the word of God is spirit. And the word was placed physically into a body, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born from the Virgin Mary. He grew up as a child. He grew to become a man, a human being. And in flesh, he embodied the word of God. This person embodied the word of God. He was the word of God. And he is the Lord Jesus Christ. So really the word of God is literally with skin on. He experienced this world. And it's profound. If you believe the word of God. If you believe God himself. If you believe the scriptures. And you are a Christian. Then the spirit of God has come inside of you. dwelling in you. You are the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's hard to fathom, isn't it? That he's actually in here. Let's look at what Romans chapter 8 verses 9 to 11 say. Romans 8 verses 9 to 11 Chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. Wow. As a Christian, you're controlled by who? Spirit of God that works in you and is in you. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and that's what the apostle is saying here, if the spirit of God lives in you and anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. If the Lord Jesus Christ isn't living in you, you don't belong to him. That may hit some of us pretty hard because it checks our soul. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who lives in you. It's the evidence that as a Christian, the spirit of Christ is living in you. You are the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does G John say that God is? Jesus is God. So what does God say, J John say that God is? Love. God is love. That love is inside of here. That's where love lives. What do you mean you can't have a perfect day? 
Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 says this. We have been called according to God's purpose, predestined to be, be, be conformed to the likeness of his son. If you are a Christian, God has predestined you to be conformed in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was perfect. No fault could be found in him. That, that's absolutely amazing. God has a plan for you and for me. What is that plan? To be like him. God's plan is for us to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. I look at that and I go, wow. I don't think I even look at all like Jesus. I am so full of flaws. You know, Paul says, Paul comes to the same conclusion. He goes, wow, what a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me? The Lord Jesus Christ. He will rescue me because I am so flawed. But he won't rescue me for nothing. He has a plan. And that plan is a, has a process to become the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. To become like him. That's his plan for you, for me, for all of us. I want you to say something with me this morning. To make this very real. And I'm going to have them put it, yeah, they're up, it's up there. I want you to say this with me. I am what God says I am. Let's say that again. I am what God says I am. I will be what God says I will be. I can do what God says I can do. This is profound. This is what God has for you. You can do all these things that he has for you because he's in you. He's working to make sure all of these things happen. We've been forgiven. We've been made clean. We've been remade in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only one that takes that away from us is the evil one. Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45, Jesus says this. He says, but I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Love, not just those who love you. Love your enemies so that you may be your Father's son. Verse 48, he says something even more profound. Jesus says this. He says, be perfect be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect be perfect i want us to make this proclamation together we'll put it up on the screen and and, and say it with me i want to be perfect let's say it again i want to be perfect i want to be like jesus who doesn't want to be like jesus Good. <laughs> because nobody raised their hand. 
I think we all want to be like Jesus. We want to have that personification. We want to make the impact that Jesus made. We want to be awesome. And isn't that our goal? To be like Jesus. Being like Jesus isn't about being someone that other people will look up to and admire. Jesus never desired to be admired. He desired to do what his Father's will was. To be perfect does not mean that you will want to have people recognize you and seeing all the wonderful things that you are doing. It's not the intent. The intent is so that every person that sees you doesn't see you, but sees the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the intent. That when they see you, they go, this is the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about building God's kingdom and glory. It's about loving for the sake of Jesus. Loving for the sake of Jesus. A few years ago, we were at Breakforth in Edmonton. Anybody heard of Breakforth? Anybody been there? Wonderful. Been there a number of times and, and just appreciated so much the ministry there. It was wonderful. Uh, we were there a few years ago, and uh, I wish you were there because, and, and maybe somebody was. Anybody there when Bob Goff was there? No? How many of you heard of Bob Goff? <laughs> I, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, but if you have the internet, I'd love for you to get online and check him out. Because to me, Bob Goff is the embodiment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bob Goff is a lawyer, but he's also made his life available to God. And he's actually set his law firm aside to serve the Lord. Not to be a preacher, but to be able to minister to people. To be involved in people's lives. And he told us how that works for him. He has in his bathroom, when he gets up every morning, he has on his bathroom a note that is pasted there. So he sees this note every morning when he gets up. And the note on his mirror says this, love God, love people, and do stuff. Love God, love people, and do stuff. And he says, just look around you and all the people you see and just do something. He says, just do something. 
I'm moving around too much. Uh, Bob is a real example. Uh, just uh, a wonderful person. I want to share a couple of stories uh, about him or, or stories that he shared with us. Yeah, that's a picture of Bob Goff. And, and you can already see the energy that this guy has. Uh, that, that's his life. That's his life. Here's one of the stories he shared. Adam is Bob's son. And Adam was taking parachute lessons. So secretly, without telling Adam, he went and he, had a, he, he took parachute lessons at the same time. Without, Bob knowing, without uh, his son knowing it. And he says, can you believe it? <laughs> Here, here's this older guy, and he's taking parachute lessons. And then came this day when Adam was going to do his first free fall. And so he invites his dad, Bob, to come along and on the plane with him. And so he says, yeah, he says, I'm going. I, I can't miss this. I'm coming along with you. So they both get up on this plane. And Adam puts on his parachute, and Bob grabs another parachute, and he puts it on. And, and, and Adam looks at him and says, what are you doing? Oh, he says, I just want to get the feel. I, I want to be a part of the things that are happening here. That's all I want to do. Oh, okay. So when the door opens, the parachuters have this count. One, you stand up. Two, you take three steps, and you jump. And here was Adam, one, two, three, and out the door he goes. Well, here's Bob, one, two, three, and out the door he goes. And he says, you should have seen Adam's face when I passed him on the way down. <laughs> he has this laugh, too, and he just goes, ha, ha. You know, he's very expressive. But here, the idea was not about being able to parachute. His whole goal here was a relationship with his son. Being there, doing things together with him. That was his desire. That was his goal. And it's not just about being with your son. It's about being with people. Next story, he goes on to tell us how he told his daughter that before any man is allowed to marry his daughter, that man has to build a chapel with him. The day came when a young man asked his daughter's hand in marriage. And as promised, Bob made this young man promise that they would build this chapel together before the wedding date. And he says, <laughs> and his daughter said, you what? You what? He said, I didn't want a son-in-law. I wanted a friend. This project wasn't about marriage. It was about friendship. It was about relationship. It was about knowing and loving that person. And the best way to get to know and love a person 
is to spend time with them. He has a good relationship with his son-in-law. They know each other. But again, it wasn't just about his family. He does everything like that. I have another story, but it's actually several stories in one. When we heard Bob at this point, he had taken more than 60 trips to Uganda. But Bob is also a little bit of a prankster, and he likes to pray, uh, play a few pranks. And, and so here's this friend of his, good friend of his, named Doug. And he says Doug made the mistake of telling him where he's going to celebrate his 15th anniversary with his wife. So Bob takes his wife, his own wife, to Doug's reserved hotel several hours earlier. And he checks into the presidential suite as Doug. They have dinner together in the suite. They have music. They dance. They had a great time together. Then they cleaned up everything in the hotel and left. And he says, ha, ha. And he says, guess what? Doug had this great surprise when over $400 was added to his bill. <laughs> so after that, Bob gets this call one day from a guy who has this strong Ugandan accent. And Bob goes, this is Doug. I know it. I know this is Doug. He, he, he's going to do it to me. And so this guy on the phone says, I want you to be counsel to Uganda. And of course, Bob's a lawyer, and he thinks, well, it's fitting for somebody to, to try to con him in this way. You know, he is a lawyer, and, you know, people do ask for counsel. And he plays along and he says, sure. He says, when does this happen? And the guy says, I'll be back in two months and I'll give you a call then. Sure enough, two months later, Bob gets this call. And, and of course, in the meantime, he'd forgotten all about this because this has happened a couple months ago, right? But then there's this guy on the phone again with this strong Ugandan accent and he says I'll be in New York for a few days can you meet me there and Bob says sure sure I'll be there so he flies into the airport and expecting his friend Doug to be there with a whole bunch of people with signs that say ha ha gotcha but instead there's this Ugandan guy with his entourage and he says welcome Thank you for accepting the position of consul to Uganda. <laughs> Bob responds, oh no. He said, I thought you were just asking me to be a counselor to do some litigation. The man says, no, no. Consul, meaning diplomat. And Bob Stops for a few moments and then he says, now isn't that Jesus? <laughs> isn't that Jesus? Yes, yes, he says, I'll do it. And now he is the diplomat to Uganda. Just like that. That is God. And as a diplomat, he goes to Uganda 
And he hears about this witch doctor who's hurt and maimed and killed all kinds of people. And he goes there and he finds out that this witch doctor, whose name is Colby, has taken a young 10-year-old into the bush and has cut off his private parts. But instead of this kid dying, he survives. And Bob goes and he finds the witch doctor, Colby. And he brings Colby to trial and conviction with a testimony of this kid who he simply calls Charlie. That's not his real name, but he just calls him Charlie. A little while later, there's this other doctor stateside. His name is Randy, who hears about Charlie, and he calls Bob up, and he says, I can fix Charlie. Let me operate on him. And Bob says to Randy, you don't know what got cut off. You can't fix Charlie. You can't make it work anymore. But Randy says, listen, he says, I'm the chief surgeon at L.A. Medical Center, and I can do it. I can take some from his leg and some from his arm and some from his belly, and I will fix it. Bob says, really? You can do that? He says, how much will this cost? Randy says, yeah, this is a very expensive operation but I'm going to do it for nothing. I'm going to do it for nothing. Bob says, whoa, this is nothing but Jesus. And oh boy, he says, I can afford it. So he starts the process. Bob goes to Uganda and he finds Charlie. He goes to court and he gets guardianship. And he takes Charlie to L.A. A couple of days before the operation, Bob opens his email, and there's a note there from the White House. They want Bob to bring Charlie to the White House. And they hear about, they've heard about Charlie and they want to meet him. So Bob, he, he shows the pictures. They, they went to the White House. There's pictures of him and Charlie going up to the White House. There's pictures of him and Charlie together with President Obama. And there's pictures of him in the Oval Room with Charlie. Bob says, why does God do that? He says, because God wants to give us the opportunity to love and to embody Jesus. The next day, Bob helped Charlie to get into his scrubs at the hospital. He bent over him and he gave him a kiss on the forehead and he said, be not afraid. Be not afraid. And Randy went to work. Sometime after the operation and the witch doctor Colby's conviction, Bob phones up the warden at Colby's prison. Now we have to remember that, that Colby was this enemy. Who is the enemy of God? Satan. 
Who works for Satan? Witch doctors. And Bob says to the warden, he says, I would like to visit Colby. I would like to visit Colby. And guess what? The warden says, yes. Come on down. You see, this prison was built for about 300 prisoners. But at this time, there were about 3,000 prisoners in that facility. And one thing about this prison is that literally those who go into that prison never get out. They go in and they never get out. They die there. So here's Bob and he goes to this prison and Colby comes into the room and he takes a knee. And he starts telling Bob how bad he feels about what he has done. And Bob thought to himself, yeah, yeah, right. You just feel bad that you got caught. And Colby starts talking about the witchcraft that he got involved in. And where it's all taken him. And where he is now. And then Colby says to Bob, I know I'm going to die in this prison. I'm going to die in this prison because you put me here. But I forgive you. I forgive you. <laughs> and Bob goes, well, wait a minute. In Bob's mind, he was screaming, you're the bad guy here. I'm not the bad guy. I don't need forgiveness. You're the one that needs forgiveness. But as much as he forgave Bob, Colby did need forgiveness. And at that moment, Bob says he felt like he was talking to the guy next to Jesus on the cross. That's what he felt like. He was talking to that guy. Bob says after all that horrible stuff that Colby did, to all of those folks and to Charlie. He just didn't know. But during that visit, he led Colby to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, this guy gets heaven. After all he's done, he gets heaven. Bob led us back to what Jesus said. Love your enemies. Love your enemies so that you may be perfect. Love your enemies so that you may be perfect. At the time that Bob shared this with us, he still met with Colby and he went to Uganda every two months. And as he met with Colby, they had Bible study together. And they prayed together. And I don't know, he may still be doing that. But it's during this time that both Bob and Colby went and asked the warden if Colby could present the gospel to the other 3,000 men in the prison. And Bob says, guess what? He said, yes. And he said, now isn't that Jesus? So Colby presents the gospel. He says, Colby presents the gospel, but you know what? He screws everything up. He's got everything wrong. The only thing he has right is Jesus Christ is Lord. 
And he says, these prison inmates are repenting. And Colby doesn't have anything else but bottles of water, so he's baptizing these guys that, repent, that are repenting with bottles of water. And then Colby says to Bob, you know, you know, I'm going to die here because of you. But I want to say this to you. I want you to know that I forgive you. And at that moment, Bob says, his mind was still screaming back. You can't say that to me. You can't forgive me. I'm not the bad guy. But then Bob also says, a light bulb went on. He says, I know. I know I have to love my enemy to be perfect. He says, to love someone like that, that's Jesus. To love someone like that, that's Jesus. We are all Jesus if we're like that, if we're being awesome. And that's being awesome. Loving people, loving people, no matter how great the enemy might be, is to be perfect like Jesus. He says, after Jesus was mocked, spit on, cursed, beaten, he was crucified, but he continued to pray. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. No matter what they have done, anywhere, at any time, or even to me, forgive them. And Bob says this. He says, listen. He says, listen, take this all from a guy who had the audacity to put his cell phone in the back of his book cell phone number in the back of his book. He says, there's huge power in just being present, being available to those around you. What author puts their cell phone number on the back of a book? Somebody who wants to be bothered. Somebody who wants to be contacted. Somebody that, who wants to pour into other people's lives. And he gave this challenge he said, try it. Try it and see what happens. Try it and see what happens. Bob is quite the character. Uh, I love him. But he will also admit to you that he is, he's like the sponsor for Red Bull. You know, that, 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 that energy drink. You know, people take that energy drink and they go all night. Well, Bob says he's like that. He is without uh, losing a step. Uh, he's like the ever-ready battery. And, and every opportunity he gets, he says he just gets more excited because he understands that God is opening the doors of opportunity. In his description, he says, that's being awesome. That's being Jesus. That's being Jesus. The whole point of this is that love is interactive. Love is interactive. No interaction, love is missing. And he says, love seeks opportunity. Now I know that 
in many ways, we're a little bit of an elderly congregation. And you might be saying to yourself, yeah, if I was, you know, 20 years younger, I might have some energy. But right now, I'm, I, I'm out of energy. But listen to this. If you have ears, no matter how old you are, if you have ears, you can listen. There are people who want to share. And you can always lend your ear. You can say, I'm here for you. I want to hear what you have to say. You're important. And if you have a mouth that can actually utter sounds, you can share your wisdom. You can share your experience. God can use you in a very profound way to make a difference in someone else's life. You can inspire, you can encourage, you can advise, you can build relationships with this mouth that God has given you. It's no matter what age you are. James chapter 1 verse 19 says, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. <laughs> and slow to become angry, right? We can all love people. We can all embody the Lord Jesus Christ. As we do that, I believe that we will be growing up. It'll make a difference in our own lives. That perfect day will come. Father, we just thank you. We thank you and we praise you. <laughs> because you've taken this life of ours that was broken. This life of ours that was, that was standing against you. This life of ours that was walking away from you. And you saw us in our condition and you reached down with love and with forgiveness. You desired this relationship with us. When we opened our hearts, you came in. You came in. You changed us from the inside out, and you're still changing us. God, we want to be changed to be like Jesus. And so we pray. Mold this heart. Make it anew. Make us to be like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.